The other night I was talking with Christina after hearing some uh, sad and shocking news, and I expressed to her the weakness of my faith, how much I, I fear certain things, and how unpredictable the future is. Our conversation reminded me how much I need God's grace and His strength in my life, and how much I need the Holy Spirit to help me uh, believe God's promises. God is sovereign. God is good. God is in control. God loves me and my family. God will protect us. I know and I believe and I cherish these things. And at the same time, the future is unpredictable. Bad things are going to happen. And I'm uncomfortable with that. In my weakness, I get scared. I get anxious. I I hear frightening stories and my mind begins to run with frightening imagination. I I struggle so deeply to trust God in light of the impending impact of evil. It's it's really a battle for me. I told Christina, this is why we must uh, immerse ourselves in Scripture, uh, so that we can overcome fear and anxiety and terror with God's truth and God's promises. I, I need to know who God is, and I need to know what difference God makes uh, knowing God makes in my life. I, I need his promises so, so I don't fear or worry or agonize when my father wants me to rest in the security of his grace, in the security of his love, in, in the security of his providence. I don't want to miss out on the comfort that God intends me to have and gives me in Christ simply because I choose to ignore his promises. And not pay attention to them. There are plenty of things in this world to panic about. Plenty of things to get anxious about. Plenty of things to dread. But is that the Christian life? Has Christ redeemed us in order for us to panic? Doesn't our Lord reign over evil? Aren't comfort, peace, and strength ours because we trust in Christ? Well, of course. But because... As weak as we may be, God, God is our strength. God is our strength. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our deliverer. He is our refuge. He is our shield. He is our salvation. He is our stronghold. In our oppression and in our times of trouble, God is all we need. Psalm 18, 1 through 3, flow from the heart of the man who knew God and a man who was protected by God. And I hope this morning you and I see very vividly who God is, and that we walk away from here confident in the promises of God, confident in who He is, confident in what He has told us in His Word, in His promises, and then more grateful for His past, present, and future grace. Before we unpack Psalm 18, 1 through 3, let me say a quick point that I hope is clear for you and I hope is uh, is helpful to you. David is a type of Christ meaning he foreshadowed Christ. God sovereignly orchestrated David's life to prefigure, to resemble the person and work of Christ, to help us better understand the person and work of Christ. Old Testament scholar David Murray said this, quote, a type is a real person, event or thing that God has ordained as a predictive pattern or resemblance of Jesus's person and work, end of quote. The life and writing of David resemble Christ. That's by God's design. 
David was a shepherd, a man after God's own heart, God's chosen and anointed king of Israel, and yet Jesus Christ is the greater shepherd, the greater man after God's own heart, the greater chosen and anointed king of Israel. In 2 Samuel 7, God promised David to establish the kingdom of one of his descendants, a forever king of a never-ending kingdom. So even David was then looking forward for a preeminent shepherd king to come. Hundreds of years after David died, that's very important to remember, Ezekiel prophesied the words of God in Ezekiel 34, 23, and 24. Listen to the words. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. And you really need to read uh, uh, Ezekiel 37 as well, which advances this thought, a beautiful portrayal of David, the shepherd king over Israel. If David was already dead, how could God honor his promise to set his servant David over Israel as the one shepherd king? Because David was a type of Christ. My servant David refers to Jesus Christ, who is God's anointed and preeminent shepherd king from the bloodline of David. Christ is the fulfillment of God's gracious covenant promise to David. So when you, when you study David's life and when you studied his writings, his songs... Look through David to Christ, the greater king. It will add joy to how you study the Old Testament. It will add, add a meaning to your Old Testament study. You certainly need to be careful not to just jump to too many conclusions that the, the scripture doesn't jump to, but see through David to the greater king. Psalm 18 is David's reflection on God and his faithfulness. As Israel's anointed king, God had delivered David from all his enemies and yet in a greater way, God delivered Christ from all his enemies, even death itself, and put every enemy under the feet of Jesus Christ. Psalm 18 is about David. Don't miss that. But it also exalts God's faithfulness to Christ, the preeminent king, and to his people through Christ. One study note helpfully explained it like this. This is a royal psalm. It celebrates the way that God has shown his love to his people by giving them the Davidic monarchy and by preserving David through many dangers, end quote. Psalm, psalm 18 should stoke the fire of your affection and gratitude for Christ, who is the Davidic king who has rescued you and achieved your final victory. Psalm 18 is poetry, and it's written in chiastic structure, which is kind of tricky. I'm not going to go into it a lot, but in other words, it's symmetrical poetry. There are parts at the beginning that coincide with parts at the end, and it kind of marches to a center point. So the beginning sections coincide with the ending sections, and you'll see themes repeat in this psalm uh, if, if you study the entire thing. I'm going to zero in on the heading and verses 1 through 3, which summarize the theme of the entire psalm. It's a long song. Uh, song. And I encourage you to read Psalm 18 on your own, all, all 50 verses, in its entirety. Study that and look close, but let's begin here. The Lord delivers his people through Christ the everlasting Davidic king. The Lord delivers his people through Christ, the everlasting Davidic king. The heading goes like this. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul, he said. That's the intro. 
So David sang this song back in 2 Samuel 22, and it became a song for God's people to sing corporately. The historical truth of God's love and deliverance of the king served to encourage all of God's people in his love and deliverance of them. The repetitive use of Yahweh, you'll see that in the introduction it's used a bunch of times, in the heading, it suggests God's gracious covenant relationship with David and his people. Now, great sports champions... I love sports. Great sports champions often attribute their success, you'll hear it in interviews after the game or match or whatever, to their own prowess. They point to themselves. Famous boxer Mike Tyson, you might remember him, he once said this, I'm the best ever. I'm the most brutal and vicious and ruthless champion that's ever been. Okay. Uh, The great Michael Phelps said this, you dream, you plan, you reach, there will be obstacles, there will be doubters, there will be mistakes. But with hard work, with belief, with confidence and trust in yourself and those around you, there are no limits. Now, how different the tune of Psalm 18. Entirely different. David was a military champion, but it was the Lord whom David praised. His his attention was, was set on God's identity and God's deliverance. Again, John Calvin is so helpful here. He said this, This psalm, therefore, is the first of those psalms in which David celebrates in lofty strains the wonderful grace which God had shown towards him, both in putting him in possession of the kingdom and in afterwards maintaining him in it. He also shows that his reign was an image and type of the kingdom of Christ to teach and assure the faithful that Christ, in spite of the whole world and of all the resistance which it can make, will, by the stupendous and incomprehensible power of the Father, be always victorious. Your life may be filled with trouble. David's was. But God protected and delivered David. So allow this song to assure you that in Christ now, in Christ God will be for you all that he was for David, and he will deliver you. Here's the second point. When the Lord delivers his people, they love him. They love him. David began, I love you, O Lord. Think about that. I love you. Uh, This word love is often used of God's mercy and compassion for his people, but here David uses it to express his deep affection for God, his fervent affection for the Lord. God's grace was the soft kiss which stirred affection deep within David's heart. When God rescues someone, they love him. They love him. I was, I was sitting in my office and I was trying to come up with, a, with a, a word picture or an illustration and I wasn't getting anywhere. I mean, it just wasn't coming. Sometimes it doesn't come. And Jeremiah came into my office upstairs and told me that Maria was stuck in a tree. And uh, here she had watched Jeremiah fall out of a tree and scrape himself a little bit. And so he was, he was okay, but that concerned her because she's still stuck in the tree that he just fell out of. And uh, so she cried a little bit, and so I went out to rescue my daughter. And when I got there, she was 40 feet up, and flames had engulfed the tree. And, and, and without hesitation, I just jumped, and I ascended through the blaze, and I grabbed my daughter, and I repelled her to safety. It was a wonderful moment, probably not that dramatic, uh, but, but that's how I remember it. No, it... it <laughs> It was, it, was, it was less dramatic than that, but from around six feet or so, uh, she let go of the tree, 
And she dropped into my arms, and with her little arms, Maria hugged me. Divine rescue awakens affection. Scan over verses 1 through 3 and notice how personal this is for David. My strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Who is God for David? Who is God for you? David said, I love you, O Lord, my strength. Number one, the Lord is the strength of his people. The Lord is the strength of his people. God helped David. The Lord was the source of David's ability. This is far from self-sufficiency. It is this great military champion attributing his victory and his endurance to the strength of God in him. The, the most powerful political leader of of Israel tried to pin David to the wall with a spear. His own son tried to kill him. He had images of a violent war in his mind. Talk about a potential for PTSD. David loved the Lord because the Lord had been his strength. When you look back over your life, has God not empowered you? Uh, Think of your adversities and your victories, your struggles and your triumphs. Have you endured by your own strength? Never forget that Christ upholds the entire universe with you in it. That includes you with the word of his power. Any ounce of strength that you have or will ever have, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, is sovereignly given you by God who has unlimited supply. Number two, the Lord is the rock of his people. The Lord is the rock of his people. David sang, the Lord is my rock. He repeated it again later in verse two. This was no pipe dream for David. It was a tangible reality. And the two words that he used, two different words for rock here, uh, seem to picture this massive, immovable rock, this, this steep, rugged cliff or crag that shoots up into the air, which towers with looming grandeur. Elevation provides escape from enemies. David had experienced escaping into rocks and crags and cliffs uh, to get away from his enemies. About 84 miles southeast of Bologna, Italy... I'd love to go to Italy, but it is this little town called San Leo. You may have heard of it. One of the defining characteristics of this town, San Leo, is the fortress that is built atop an imposing cliff. Dante uh, was inspired by this fortress when writing the Divine Comedy. San Leo's rock is beautiful. It's, It's beautiful and it's secure. Well, David leaves us with this image of the imposing solidity and grandeur of God who is for his people an immovable and safe retreat. Life is unpredictable. People are vindictive. Fear and anxiety are often our close companions. And we need escape. We need retreat. Let us therefore ascend to escape by faith so high atop the rock of the Lord and the security of His promises that the enemies, our enemies of fear and anxiety and worry would not be able to climb high enough to reach us. Read God's promises. Hide them in your heart. Retreat from fear. Retreat from anxiety to the rock of the Lord. Three, the Lord is the fortress of His people. What better place for an impenetrable castle 
of defense than high atop an immovable cliff. That seems like a great place. In the 15th century now, after the fortress of San Leo was captured, a famous architect was hired to renovate the fortress. The renovation increased the fortress's ability to fire against enemy attack on multiple fronts. It it, it increased the range in multiple directions. And someone said this, quote, This is why outer perimeter walls were equipped with artillery defense posts and the access roads around the walls were protected from enemy fire. The fortress slowly came to represent the apex apex of a defense strategy, including the rocky peak itself. End of quote. The, the famous poet Pietro Bembo said of San Leo's fortress, quote, a powerful stronghold and an awe-inspiring instrument of war and admirable mix of nature and arts. End of quote. A fortress is an instrument of war to protect against enemy attacks. David spent time in fortresses. He's writing this with conviction, but even more than the fortresses that he had experienced, the Lord was his fortress. David said of the Lord in in, uh, Psalm 144, verse 2, He is my steadfast love and my fortress. My steadfast love and my fortress. God's love for you is connected to God's protection of you. When you are loved, you are protected. And you are loved. Allow God to speak His words of love and promise into, into your heart, into your mind. Scripture immersion will solidify God's loving promises in you and assure you of his protection, his promises to you, precious promises. Oh, that you would trust Christ to carry you up the mountain of God's glory to rest comfortably in the fortress of God himself. Number four, the Lord is the deliverer of his people. The deliverer of his people. The Lord is a great rescuer who comes right into your peril and takes you to safety. David said, the Lord is my deliverer. If there is no final rescue, think about this. No final rescue is had. He only came in, but he couldn't get you out. God could hardly be called a deliverer. David's point is that by calling upon the Lord, salvation does indeed come for him. He is a deliverer. God's deliverance is not a possibility. God's deliverance is a reality. God's deliverance of David from his earthly enemies foreshadows God's deliverance of all his people through Christ. But I have a question. How do you and I make sense of the troubles in our lives if God is the deliverer? Where was he when that happened to me? Where was he in that struggle? Where was he? Why didn't he show up when I needed him the most? He's no deliverer. How do we make sense of that? And and here is where I think if we stay on David and fail to move to Christ, we will be confused about how God can love us and be our deliverer if we are not immediately delivered from everything evil. I think we need to see David as a type of Christ and move beyond David to see God's ultimate and complete deliverance from sin, Satan, hell, death, and our enemies, deliverance into eternal life with God. Evil still lurks, folks, but the hope of deliverance in the storm of evil is the promise of final deliverance in Christ. Our prayer, deliver us from evil, is not a waste of breath. He will. 
He is. Someone may do evil to you. You can't stop it all. It's going to happen. But you are promised safety in Christ who delivers you from the evil of hatred, bitterness, resentment, anger, fear, hopelessness, and in the end, all your enemies, including death itself. Imagine him sustaining your faith until evil is finally and fully eradicated. It's already and it's not yet. Is your sanctification not part of your deliverance? He's keeping you. He's forming you into something beautiful and evil comes and it is hard to deal with. But His grace is at work because He's making you into something, preparing you for this incredible eternal life that is yours in Christ. Deliverance is coming. Deliverance is yours. You have it in the King. Number five, the Lord is the God of His people. The God of his people. Here David used the name El. The Lord is David's mighty one. The Lord is David's hero. I think there is a correlation between atheism and really all unbelief and a failure to admit one's need of rescue. If someone can't see their need of rescue, a hero God becomes some sort of weird fairy tale for all the other weak-minded people. David was a revered military war hero with amazing notches on his belt. And yet he knew his desperate need of rescue, primarily because he had been rescued by God, by God's grace, time and time again, David being rescued. Everyone, folks, hopes in something. They do. Everybody hopes in something. What's sad is that so many people hope in the wrong thing, the wrong thing. And, and then they end up with no hope at all in the end. There is a hero. He is almighty. And you may at times feel trapped. You may at times see absolutely no way out of what you are in. But Scripture says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. It's like he's speaking to his own soul. Hope in God, soul, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Hope in God. You you have to admit that you need to be rescued. Ask God to rescue you. Trust that God will rescue you. Then put one foot in front of the other and thank God for rescuing you. Your hero God came to you in the middle of your peril to deliver you. He is delivering you. Number six, the Lord is the refuge of his people. To take refuge in the Lord is to run into him by faith, into his security, into his safety, And I say by faith because finding refuge in the Lord is an act of faith. Psalm 2 is a messianic song about Jesus Christ. And verse 12 says, kiss the son. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Kiss the son. Kiss him. He is precious. Put your faith and trust in him. Kiss the son. Get close to the son. Be blessed by the protection of the son. There is no refuge in the Lord until you kiss the son. God is not like an American embassy in Afghanistan where you can run into it physically in order to escape from the terrorists. Finding refuge in the Lord is different than that. I take David to mean you trust in the Lord's promises. 
You look at them, you claim them for themselves, and you trust in them because you are united to Christ and those promises belong to you. You believe that they are fully and finally for you and you draw comfort and peace and joy from those promises. Scripture is a huge aspect of you and I finding refuge in God. The Spirit takes you and me into God's refuge by faith. Number seven, the Lord is the shield of His people. The shield, this is so awesome for a military warrior who used shields, I'm sure, uh, to write this. This is very fitting uh, imagery here. David used the word shield three times in, in Psalm 18. Listen to verses 30 and 35. This God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in Him. You have given me the shield of your salvation and your right hand supported me and your gentleness made me great. So in one place, David linked shield with the word of the Lord, which proves true. And in another place, he linked the shield with salvation. That secure salvation for you guards and protects you. So there's a lot here. What guards you in the battle of life? What guards you? When the word of God is in your heart, and you trust the promises of God, and you trust the salvation of God, that it is guaranteed for you in Christ, then God will protect you as His truth works to ward off enemy attack. Paul used the phrase shield of faith, uh, which is trusting in God's truth, through which He extinguishes Satan's flaming arrows and, and all the stuff that He throws at us, and it's just done. No damage, ultimately. You can't just sit on your couch and bite your nails hoping that God somehow mysteriously will become your ethereal force field in some weird way. You must pour over His Word in unrelenting devotion, pleading with God to defend you in your time of trouble. Please understand this. The Lord shields and protects those who receive and trust in His covenant promises. God will shield, you must trust. David trusted, David obeyed, David was shielded. Read verses 20 through 24. It's kind of an interesting thing to make sense of what David says about himself there. Some prophetic stuff going on there, I believe. God is all of this for you, but you have the responsibility to trust Him. Number eight. The Lord is the horn of salvation for His people. The horn of salvation for His people. Don't think jazz musician horn. Think 1,900-pound beast with massive horns snorting uh, after a victory at a rodeo. That's the kind of horn that, that your mind should go to. Horn is used figuratively here for strength and for victory. David's salvation from his enemies and ultimately from his sin was entirely dependent on the horn or the power of God. Later on in verse 50, David rightly added this, great salvation he brings to his king and shows steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. That should trigger things in your mind. That offspring forever. Anointed, that should trigger something in your mind. This name David should trigger something in your mind. Are those the words of of a self-reliant man who is prideful in all of his achievements and accomplishments? No way. They are humble and grateful words exalting God's sovereign grace and love. Uh, These lyrics push us beyond David. They take us to a greater place. David was God's anointed king, but in a much greater sense, Jesus is God's anointed king. 
his anointed Christ. And in power, God delivered Jesus Christ from the grave and shows steadfast love to him forever. Psalm 2, again, is relevant here. And in Psalm 18, verse 50, David's, when David sings, Offspring forever, we are compelled to look to Christ. Verse 50 takes us back to God's covenant with David in 2 Samuel 7 where God promised to set a Davidic offspring on the throne forever. David was rescued by the power of God, not his own military might, the power of God. Where is God's power? Horn of salvation foreshadows the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Advance to Luke 1. This is very exciting. Verses 68 through 75. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, a priest, was filled at that moment with the Holy Spirit And he prophesied, and listen to what he said. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show the mercy promised promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. God made covenant promises with Abraham and David and God honored those promises by sending his son to deliver all of God's people from their sin in order for them to to serve him without fear to serve him in holiness, to serve him in righteousness forever. Not just now, forever. Paul called Christ the power of God. Paul called the gospel and the word of the cross the power of God. Jesus Christ is the horn of salvation because it is through him that God flexes his muscles to achieve the destruction of sin, Satan, hell, and death, and who fully and finally accomplishes eternal life for all of his people. That took unfathomable power, and God did it through Christ, the horn of God. So let me ask you a question that I think can help you through fear, help you through anxiety, help you through worry in your life. Is there an enemy? Is there any evil that can escape the power and justice of Christ? Is anyone getting off? Is anything going unnoticed by God? Jesus Christ is the victorious King, and none who oppose Him will survive His justice. Christ has achieved your salvation, dear Christian, which is guarded by the sovereign power of God. Trust in that. Rest in that. Be comforted in that. Be happy in that. That the Lord is your horn of salvation. Number nine, the Lord is the stronghold of his people. Again, David gives this idea of a high and inaccessible place. Altitude made strongholds more secure. Even high walls make make strongholds more secure. David said in Psalm 9, verse 9, the Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. David had seen much oppression. He had seen much trouble in his life. And because the Lord was his stronghold, he was saved from his enemies. Martin Luther had it right. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. 
His defense does not fail. God never fails to protect his people. He protects them with a mighty, impenetrable, always safe stronghold. But then again, I ask the question, how can you make sense of the wickedness done to you or the suffering that you have endured or the pain that has attacked you day after day? How do you make sense of that? Where was God? God does not promise you that no evil or sickness or tragedy will befall you in this life. He does not promise you that. Jesus actually promised you as a Christian suffering. That's what he promised you. That doesn't mean that God failed to protect you. (laughs) However, God does promise you that in the times of oppression and in times of trouble, when the flood of mortal ills prevails, He will be your stronghold. He will be your helper. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. But the man of God, of His own choosing, Jesus Christ is on our side and is forever our stronghold. There is pain in the war. We get bruised and beaten in the war, but the victory is already won. We're not losers because we're in Christ and He's surely not a loser. Now, in light of all that you have been through in your life, all the ups and downs, all the mountains and the valleys, consider who God is. God is strength, a rock, a fortress, a deliverer, a refuge, a shield, salvation, and a stronghold. Now let me go a step further. As you trust in Christ, God is your strength, your rock, your fortress, your deliverer, your refuge, your shield, your salvation, and your stronghold. God is all of these things and more for you in Christ. You've got to trust Him to be all of these things for you. I just don't think He wants us to read this and say, yeah, that's for someone else. Sure sounds great in a fairy tale. Wish it was that true, but I'm here struggling, man. I think He wants us to read it to say, "That's, that's who I am for you. Will you trust me to be that for you? Oh, I see that heartache. And my heart grieves. But will you trust me to be what I've said that I will be for you? I care about what you're going through. That's why I'm telling you, I'm your rock. I'm your shield. I'm your deliverer. Look to me. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look to yourself. You don't have what you need. I am what you need. I will be your strength and protection. He wants to claim these things. I know it's hard. I know it's hard. It's very difficult to look at this and to believe it. It takes supernatural grace. You're not going to believe this until the Holy Spirit works in you. So last point, the identity of the Lord warrants us calling upon Him for help, praising Him and trusting in His deliverance. David said, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised and I am saved from my enemies. You remember the song? Is that song going through anybody's head? It is for me. Uh, those are lyrics of faith. David knew the Lord to be all these things for him. He knew the Lord to be entirely praiseworthy, not only because the Lord manifested himself or revealed himself to David, but because God tangibly proved himself faithful to David. 
Therefore, David called upon his covenant-making and covenant-keeping Lord and was saved. The closing lines of the psalm confirm what what we've just covered. David ended his song with these lines. The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be the God of my salvation, the God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, who rescued me from my enemies. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. For this I will praise you, O Lord, among the nations and sing to your name. Great salvation he brings to his king and showed steadfast love to his anointed, to David and his offspring forever. Isn't that a beautiful ending? The way to respond to the Lord and his deliverance from sin is to praise him, to praise him, to sing to his great name. The identity and deliverance of the Lord is meant to lead you right into gratitude, right into worship. Follow the Spirit of God into exuberant praise. Follow the Spirit. Stay close. Follow the Spirit into heartfelt singing to the glorious name of God For you who are in Christ, please hear this, for you, every single one of you sitting here today who are united to Christ by faith, God's steadfast love is yours. For his anointed Christ, that steadfast love that he has for his anointed Christ is for you because you are in Christ. Glorious, glorious. Psalm 18 is supposed to move you. It's supposed to do something in your heart. Uh, It's supposed to transform you to give you confidence in God and confidence in the work of Christ in your life. God has delivered you and he is working to deliver you. And guess what? He's going to finish the work. He'll finish. Trust him to finish. Is God vivid for you? Can you see who he is? Are you confident he will be all of this for you? Or are you confident in something else that you're turning to? Aren't you thankful for his past, present, and future grace? for his promises that are guaranteed in Christ? Do do you doubt that he will be in your tomorrow to care for you? Even in the middle of the worst pain? He's there, and he's there for you. May the cry of our heart, as we leave here this morning, I will be tested on the way home. There are Sundays, many Sundays, I feel horrible on the way home because I'm not even believing in what I just preached. Pastor, oh, what are you doing? If we leave here in our minds, in our hearts, with this, I love you, O Lord, my strength. I love you. I love you over and over again. I love you, God, my strength, my strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are our strength. I am so weak. My brothers and sisters here are so weak. This world is filled with weak people who are earning their way to eternal destruction. And yet, God, you as the great deliverer are entering right into the peril and rescuing people by your Son. And so I pray that we read this stuff and actually take hope in it, that we put trust in it, that you are our strength, our rock, our fortress, all that David has said Help us to be like David in the sense that he trusted the Messiah. Help us to simply trust your son, Jesus Christ, that because of him, you are all of these things and more for us. I pray for the, the, the weary soul this morning, the one that is just beat down and broken. Oh, that you'd be their rock, that you would lift them up 
through faith, by grace through faith, to the high rock of the Lord, that they could dwell secure there in the fortress, that they could enjoy all the protections of you and Almighty God, their hero. God, I pray for the confident one who doesn't really have much time to hear about his or her great need. They feel self-sufficient, things are going pretty well, health, great, money, yep. I pray for that person that you wreck them, that they would see their great need for a rescuer and that they would cling to Christ as he comes into their peril and rescues them. God, I am so prideful, I repent of it and ask you to deliver me from my self-sufficiency. I can't be self-sufficient for a millisecond. I need you, and so does everyone in this room. I just pray that we see it by your sovereign grace and that we, we stay on the rock. We stand on the rock. Thank you, God, for Christ, the immovable rock, our fortress, our deliverer, our Messiah, our Savior, our Christ, our David, that we needed to come and do what we couldn't do. Thank you. I love you, Lord. We love you, Lord, our strength. Amen.